because next weekend is such an important weekend in the life of the church. I just want to make sure everybody is clear that next weekend we have four Christmas Eve services. You will find these on the third page in your worship folder. So on Saturday, December 23rd, next Saturday, we will have a 7 p.m. Christmas Eve Eve service. And then on Sunday, Christmas Eve, we will have three services, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock, and 7 o'clock. There will be no Sunday morning services next Sunday. In light of the way the calendar falls, in order for us to maximize and to best use all the resources, all the people that are involved in our Christmas Eve services, I say that because I want you to pray about bringing people with you to our Christmas Eve services. I ask you to pray that people will come to Christ. In Life Magazine, this most recent issue, we have a wonderful story of Carl who came to Christ at last year's Christmas Eve service. Don't miss this evangelistic opportunity. Let's pray that God's going to do incredible things. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Everybody understand? Pass the word. You're welcome to come next Sunday morning. We won't be here. (laughs) Because we will be preparing. We will start to come about noon in order to prepare for our services. Now this morning... As we continue this Advent series, I want to talk to you about the great Christmas story of the shepherds. But in order to get at what I think Luke is giving us, what God's Word is giving us, really what I want to do is I want to talk to you about one of the most central yet more elusive longings of the human heart. And that is the human longing, our longing for joy. But having said that, I'm also aware that for a number of you, joy is the last thing you're experiencing right now this December. Scott talked a minute ago about our Connect Card prayer requests. Over the last two weeks alone, the first two weeks of December, uh, the connect card prayer request that you submit and as Scott said we pray for and we take so seriously have been full of stories and requests born in deep pain. Some of the people here, a few people here at Wheaton Bible Church are homeless. There are one or two prayer requests Because some people have no money to give their children presents. There are a number of prayer requests for significant financial burdens. And I want you to know we're praying for you. Uh, Some of you have just lost a job. Some of you have been out of work for a long time. Some of you are praying that God will lead you to a job. And there's all sorts of agony and and pressure, financial pressure with us. Many of you, many of you are praying uh, for health situations you're facing. Cancer, cancer, cancer. Other health problems. Sometimes the financial problems and the health problems are bundled together. We have a number of prayer requests just in the last two weeks alone. 
from people who have family members, loved ones that are struggling with big league addictions. Or adult children that have walked away from the Lord. Or co-workers, friends, family members who desperately need Jesus Christ. And I want you to know we're standing with you in prayer. Uh, some of you have asked us to pray, uh, to pray for protection in domestic violence. Acute loneliness. The loss of a loved one. I say this because pain is always with us, but it intensifies at Christmas. And I want to be very sensitive that, to that today as we talk about joy. I am not trying to compound your pain to make you feel guilty because you're struggling with joy right now at this particular season. Instead, what I want to do is, by God's grace and by the Holy Spirit, point you to the only source of relief. The only source of joy. And that is Jesus Christ, who was born at Christmas. Maybe nobody has ever said this to you before. But I want to say it to you now, and I want you to think about this. Jesus Christ was born outside you to live inside you. To live inside you. In other words, relief isn't an external thing that happened 2,000 years ago in history. It's Christ in you. And if you merely view Jesus as a prophet or a teacher who exists outside you, rather than a Savior who has come to live inside you, to dwell in you, to unite himself to you in a bond that is so deep, so intimate, so personal, that the metaphor the Apostle Paul uses in the New Testament to describe that bond is marriage. Marriage. If Jesus is only external to you and not internal to you, then Christmas will always be an impersonal group of events and you will never know lasting joy. And I want you to know that joy. Pain abounds in the human experience. And so I say all this this morning because I love you and I ache Because you wake. But God has given us the good news of the advent of Jesus Christ. And today the shepherds show us the source of relief. If you will, they show us a couple of keys to joy. So grab your Bibles, grab a Bible in front of you, turn them on. We'll have the the verses up on the screens behind me. And turn to Luke chapter 2. We're going to pick it up. In verse 8, these are some of the verses we just did in our responsive reading. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. 
But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause you great joy for all the peeper. Peep, peeper. Man, and I speak for a living. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Now keep, keep that up there for a minute. Keep that, that last verse. Look at the last verse. Do you see the three titles in verse 11 that the angel gives Jesus all pointing to his deity? Savior points to Jesus' role as a suffering deliverer. Messiah points to his office as anointed, the anointed king. Lord, he uses the title Lord. He assigns it to Jesus as the sovereign ruler, the sovereign authority of the universe. The angel is announcing the gospel. That this is no ordinary baby, fully man to be sure, but also fully God, the Messiah, the Savior, the Lord. Now, can you imagine what it would have been like to have been there? To see the sky explode? Let's continue as it accelerates even more. Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. A manger was a feeding trough. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now please, please, please don't misunderstand the term peace. Peace is not a problem-free, trouble-free life. It's never used that way in the Bible. Jesus' life wasn't problem-free. How can we expect ours to be? Peace here means the end of hostility, the end of conflict, the end of war. Now, what hostility? The hostility of the human heart that denies God, that wants nothing to do with God, that wants to live independently, autonomously, and completely in charge of our own lives. One of the greatest historical insights of Christianity has been that it is the self-centeredness of each and every one of our human hearts. That self-centeredness, that means there will never be peace on earth until we find peace with God. Because we deny God. We're consumed with self. Let's continue verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's get on our motorcycles, go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. When they had seen him, that is Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now I want to develop three things here. First, joy is found in listening to God. Second, 
Joy is found in engaging our world with the truth of God. And then third, joy is found when we overcome our fears because of our faith in God, faith in Jesus. So let's start with listening to God, listening to Jesus. Now, I'm going to be much longer here on this first point than the second and the third point. So don't get nervous that we're going to be here for two hours, okay? Now, I want you to see three verses real quickly. Look at verse 15. What we discover in verse 15 is that the shepherds immediately acted on the angel's words, and they go. Then when we come to verse 19, we discover Mary is treasuring and pondering the shepherd's words. Then in verse 20, after seeing Jesus, Mary, and and Joseph, the shepherds' lives are totally changed. I want to suggest to you, as scholars do, that they were converted. How do we know that? Because they return glorifying and, and praising God. They're filled with joy, evidence of their conversion. Now, when you put those together and some other things, what Luke is illustrating is what listening well looks like. And he's telling us listening, really listening to God, is key to joy. It's how the shepherds got at the end of our passage to glorifying and praising God in spite of their constant dance with poverty, in spite of the oppression of the Roman Empire, in spite of the difficulties of life in the first century world in a village like Bethlehem. And so because I love you, I want to say this to you because I want you to hear this. Our problem is that often we don't listen very well to God. About a year ago, my 23-year-old son, Ryan, uh, along with two of his friends, came to me and the two other dads and said, hey, dads, we want you to take us on a father-son ski trip. And we did that last weekend. But there has been so there had been so little snow in Colorado that where we skied only two of the one hundred and fifty <clears throat> of the one hundred and fifty runs were open. Two. Now that means a number of things. That means those two runs are crowded. That means a little later in the day they start to get icy because of so many um, uh, people using that run. <clears throat> And it also means that the ski patrol is not spread all over the mountain. But they're concentrated on these two runs. Now that becomes significant. But my beloved son, Ryan, never thought about the concentration of the ski patrol. And he ignored all the signs on posts and the ropes that said, do not ski out of bounds. Stay within, liability, warning, 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 all sorts of signs everywhere. And he thought it would be great fun to slide under the ropes and ski out of bounds because it wasn't icy, it wasn't uh, skied out, it was powder. 
And so he and his buddies took off. They heard, but they didn't hear. And they got caught. They got caught about 60 seconds into it. (laughs) And the ski patrol made them sit down. There were other people in the group, and the ski patrol just yelled at them and lectured them. Do you understand the liability? Do you understand there's exposed rocks? And there were. And then that next morning, which was the last day of our three-day father and son intimate time together, ski trip, those boys were told, your passes are pulled. You can't ski. Now, I wish I could tell you I was overflowing with joy. (laughs) I told Ryan he can't come home for Christmas. (laughs) But that's not my point. The point is we're all like Ryan. We hear, but we don't hear. We think we're an exception. We think we're not going to get caught. Uh, We look at what's on the other side of the ropes and say, oh, that, uh, that just looks so much better. And nowhere, nowhere is that more true than with God. Two applications. First, never mistake the ordinary for the insignificant. Now let me explain that. The shepherds heard the Christmas story from whom? From the angel. The townspeople, the villagers in and around Bethlehem, however, didn't hear it from the angel. They heard it from the shepherds, ordinary men. But the message was equally true whether it's from the angel or from the the shepherds. And we are told that the villagers were amazed, but but commentators point out we are never told they were converted. Could it have been the ordinariness of the shepherds? You see, many authors of the Bible, many authors of of God's word saw angels, had supernatural experiences, had visions, had had dreams. Uh, a, A number of them lived and served and ministered with Jesus for three years. But all we have today is a book. And worse, it's communicated by very ordinary and flawed pastors and teachers, moms and dads, and friends. Very ordinary. And so what happens along the way is we don't hear because it's so ordinary, it's so common. My son, when he was skiing, didn't want to listen because the run that was, he was skiing on got ordinary. It got boring. And we all know people who don't read the Bible, who don't attend church because it's boring. 
And what happens is we miss the message for the messenger. We miss supernatural words of life because it's all so ordinary. Do you listen? I mean really listen to the words of life. To the preaching and teaching of God's words. To to friends, to the people in your small groups. To family members. Or do you hear but not hear? And do do you merely tune them out? So instead of that, look at verse 19. And this is the second application. What are we to do instead? We're to listen like Mary. Notice Mary treasured the shepherd's word. Treasure means she prized them, she valued them, she placed them above all the other noise, and then she pondered them in her heart. That is, she reflected on them, she thought about them, she meditated on them, she questioned them, she drove them into her life. Pondering is how the FBI catches criminals. It's how the CIA catches terrorists. It's how engineers build buildings. It's how a a man understands a woman, maybe. (laughs) Pondering. What is Mary doing? She's thinking, you think, you think, you think. And what we discover here is Luke is telling us it's a key to joy. In other words, hear me, joy is an automatic. I mean, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in a garage makes you a car. What makes you a Christian is when you listen, I mean really listen to the message of God, to God's word, and you treasure it and you ponder it and you treasure and you ponder the Son. So I want for you joy this Christmas. And Luke 2 is telling us joy is found when we listen, really listen to God. The second thing we see in this passage, we see in these wonderful shepherds, is that joy is found when we engage our world with the truth of God. So look at verse 17. This is, by the way, the joy of influence, the joy of making a difference, the joy of purpose, the joy of seeing God use you to change a life. So what do we see in verse 17? Well, it's very simple. It's right there on the surface. The shepherds saw and they spoke. They saw and they spread the word. They spoke about what they saw, and because of what they saw, they couldn't help but speak. The shepherds, Lana and I were talking about this just in the last week. The shepherds were the very first evangelists in the history of the church. And it wasn't, it wasn't because they had all the answers. Or because they'd been to Moody or Wheaton College or or whatever. It wasn't because their lives were problem-free. It was because when something really cool happens to you, what do you do? You post it. You talk about it. Just got engaged. And interestingly, we need to ask the question, what was it they spread? What they spread was their story. What they spread was their testimony on what God had done in their lives, on what they had seen. 
And I want to say to you, dear brothers and sisters, one of the greatest joys in life is sharing with other people your God story. Man, I, I, I know you don't believe in God, but just bear with me. I've got to tell you about how he answered this prayer. And you, and you lay it out in 60 seconds. Or man, I, you know, I, I know you have some questions, but I just got to tell you about what went on in our small group. And by the way, if you are not in a small group, if you are not here at Wheaton Bible Church and you're in community, you have three weeks to sign up for Rooted. Rooted is Wheaton Bible Church's on-ramp to our small group ministry we call Life Groups. And we want all of you to experience community. You grow in community. And I want to invite you to sign up for Rooted. And we'll, we'll close that early in January. So be praying about that. But what we see here with the shepherds is they're just telling people, these are very ordinary men, uh, what God had done, what had happened. You can do that. I mean, if you win the lotto, if you're invited to the Super Bowl, what are you going to do? You're going to post it. You're going to tweet it. You're going to spread the news. Even, now hear me, even if you're an introvert. How much more so with Jesus? So I want you to look at these four statements. These four statements up on the screen are the first four of our 12 church-wide values. And what they do is they express our aspiration for what we, the people of Wheaton Bible Church, will become, what our DNA, what our culture will look like, where we are going, who we want to be. And notice what we're saying in these first four Number one is we will all be gospel-centered. Number two, we will be spirit-dependent. Number three, we will live sent lives engaged in the world and the culture around us. Why? And this is number four, because each of us know we have been called to all-the-time ministry. And so that wherever we are, whatever we're doing, our call is just as significant as any pastor, as any uh, missionary. So in other words, we gather here on Sundays to scatter during the week. And I want you to understand, scattering, spreading the news is where the action is. And it's exactly what we see in the shepherds. And according to verse 20, it's what produced joy. So first of all, joy is listening to God. It starts there. Second, it's engaging the people around you with the word of God, the truth of God, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then third, it's overcoming fear by faith in God. Go back to verse 10. Uh, The shepherds are terrified. We see that at the end of verse 9. And so what does the angel say? The angel says, stop it. Actually, the angel says it a little more gently. The angel says, do not be afraid. One of the most repeated commands in the entire Bible. Now, why? Why is that command repeated over and over? Because most of us aren't living our dreams. We're living our fears. So what are we to do? There is one important word in the original Greek that is not found in some of our English translations, like the NIV. 
And I get to thinking of these translators, these godly men and women who, who bring us our scriptures like the NIV. And their, their thinking was this word is somewhat archaic and it, it, it wasn't necessary. And I, I want to say in all respect for the, the translators of all the different versions of the Bible, I think relative to the NIV, this was a mistake. Because the word appears right after do not be afraid. And it's one word, and the angel says, behold. Now, we don't use that word today, so we would use the word, wow, look at that. Did you see that? Man, see that. Think about that. So what the angel is saying to the shepherds is, do not be fearing, instead be perceiving seeing, looking, for I am telling you the good news. What is the good news? It's the good news that Jesus has been born in Bethlehem. In other words, when the angel says, do not be afraid, and then immediately says, look, behold, see, he is telling us that Jesus is the antidote to our fears. And to the extent we look, to the extent we behold, to the extent... Uh, we perceive, we will not fear. I, I, I mean, think about it. Would you really fear what others think about you? Uh, a rejection or uh, um, loneliness? If you knew, if you were 100% certain that God loves you every nanosecond of your life, would you fear uh, we fear the future, right? We fear circumstances. We fear bad news. But if you knew, if you perceived, if you saw uh, God's perfect sovereign goodness, his, his plan for your life, wouldn't you rest in him? Uh, I, as I was reading and preparing for this message, um, some people I respect said, this is our greatest fear. This is the greatest fear in the human experience. And you know what that fear is? They argued it's the fear of surrendering control. Now, as I've thought about it, but briefly, I would agree we think to be at peace, to experience joy, we have to be in control. We have to be on top. We have to be able to manage things. And instead, what the angel is saying to the shepherds, send a surrender control. Surrender control because you're looking at the good news of the wonder of Jesus Christ. And if you understand what I am telling you, you will experience joy. The angel is telling the shepherds, you are not the king. Jesus is the king. Savior, Messiah, Lord. And when I was in college and I was on my way to becoming an alcoholic, just like my father. When I uh, reached that period in time where I began to take my eyes off myself and look to Jesus and the wonder of all that he had done for me. There came a moment when I surrendered control. 
I can't tell you when that moment was, but there was a moment. And ever since then, I have experienced a joy that nothing can take away, not even the death of my first wife. Can't take it from me. Jesus Christ was born outside you to live inside you. And when you listen to God's word, when you ponder it and you you treasure it, when you engage others with the wonderful news of the gospel, when you tell your story, when you continually fix your eyes on Jesus, as Hebrews says, you know what the result is? That regardless of your circumstances, there will be a deep, there will be a deep joy that will well up in the midst of your pain, your anguish, and your difficulty. And you will experience, if you look back at verse 10, you will experience the great joy the angels promise. Not just joy, great joy. Now I want to stop here. And I want to ask Lana and Marie and the elders uh, among us to come on up here and join me on the platform. So if you guys would um, come and make your way up here and just stand right here uh, around me. In the providence of God, and for reasons we don't understand and are very hard to accept, Lon has something to share with us. So go ahead, brother. Let me stand behind you guys. Come on in here. Let's fill in here. Let's move closer, guys. If you were here last week, uh, I spoke about Advent as an adventure that we are all on. And sometimes it's great peaks and sometimes it's deep valleys. Uh, Marie and I have been invited by God to enter a deep valley. And uh, just a few weeks ago, I was diagnosed with a rare and aggressive liver cancer. Um, Tons of tests. Uh, We now know what kind it is. We now know prognosis. And... um, It's big. I have a six-inch tumor inside my uh, liver that just suddenly appeared over the last few months. So next week, we start aggressive chemotherapy in hopes that within a few months, the tumors would shrink enough so that surgery could then remove what is left. My general attitude and my precious wife as well is we are experiencing the calm presence of God. That doesn't mean there aren't tears occasionally when you think of worst-case scenarios. But his presence is real. His promises are great. And uh, this was not the adventure I planned for 2018. I, I had another mountain I wanted to climb. And the mountain will be now cancer. So the promises of God are rich to me. The promises of God are the light of our life. Three options. God can heal me supernaturally. 
Two, he can bring healing through the wonders of the gift of his medical sciences. Three, he will heal me in heaven. I'm voting for number one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We are saying all the time, as Mary said and Mary's son said, thy will be done as long as God is glorified. So we're not going away. We'll see you on Christmas Eve. Uh, and then we'll be with you all of January. In fact, I have every hope to perform my uh, pulpit duties here on the 21st of January. But we seek your deep intercession with thanks to God. Just stay there, you guys. Now, let's gather around uh, Lana and Marie. Let's uh, uh, lay hands on them. Do you guys want to kneel? Yeah, because we can. <laughs> and um, Lana and Marie, I just want to say before everybody, um, we all love you very much. We honor you for your ministries uh, among us, and our commitment is to pray for you. Now, having said that, we also know, as I began my message there are all sorts of you going through deep waters right now. And as we pray for Lana and Marie, we want to pray for you. That you will experience the peace and the joy that comes from believing. That's Romans uh, 15, 13. We love you. And we will pray for you. So let's pray together. Father, you are sovereign. Lana and Marie know this. Lana and I have been talking about this. You're, uh, you're, you're sovereign over our lives in the good times and in the dark times. And we are aware of the promises in your word that, uh, that you work all things together for good in our lives. And so we want to pray for Lana Marie and we want to pray for healing. That God, that you will use um, modern medicine or you will supernaturally intervene. Uh, that these uh, different tumors in Lana's liver will diminish and they will go away. And Lana will go into remission. And we ask God that you would intervene. That is our prayer. And we pray as they go through this chemo journey and uh, the uncertainty of the days ahead that you would give them an ability to look to you and to rest in you, to take one day at a time because you, they know you hold them in the palm of your hand. And we want to pray for our other brothers and sisters that are struggling in so many different ways this Christmas season. And we would pray that you would give them this unmitigated sense of your presence. That they would feel loved in the midst of loss. That you would give them the grace to live with unanswered questions. That you would allow us to bear one another's burdens and that we would pray for each other. And so, Father, we want to pray for uh, the people of Wheaton Bible Church. We want to pray for Lana and Marie and ask God that you would give grace and that you would be glorified because you are the great king.
And you gave us your son who willingly suffered that one day we might not suffer. And our hope is in him and all of us. Pray in Jesus' great name. Amen. Amen. We want to thank